This is Dan Vigella. You're listening to AI in Industry. We had mentioned last week, again, this is our month-long focus on the future of retail and e-commerce and how some of those trends will affect other industries. I had mentioned, I think, in the intro of last week's episode that personalization is really an area that is probably going to move fastest in retail and e-commerce in many regards and will then spin out into other sectors from there. This week, we interviewed the CTO of a company focused on exactly that. Tyler Foster is the CTO of Evolve.ai. That's E-V-O-L-V.ai. They had spun out of Sentient Technologies, which was one of the kind of early AI firms in the Bay Area to raise over $100 million, so pretty substantial firm. This is kind of their spin out in the, the retail side of things, entirely new company. Tyler's had some great experience with Sentient, with Cloudera, with other very large and reputable firms and now is is leading the tech side of Evolve and has some great perspectives on what personalization can do today and where AI is going to make its way into the future of retail. If you haven't downloaded it already before we head into the episode, we've created a new AI and retail executive cheat sheet, which is essentially a quick collection of the landscape of use cases in retail, many of which are transferable to essentially any sector, as well as a quick rundown of the key glossary of terms in terms of different use cases and topics to understand when it comes to AI and retail as well. Very short PDF guide. You can enter your information to download that at emerj.com slash ret1. That's ret like retail, ret1. So you can download that guide if you so choose. But without further ado, we're going to hop into this episode. This is Tyler Foster with Evolve here on AI and Industry. So Tyler, we'll kick things off in the world of brick and mortar retail, kind of the, the, the old world of retail, if you will, and kind of get your take on where AI is influencing that space now. How is it as you see it today? I really see the transition in brick and mortar e-commerce towards better instrumentation and data and then how to process it. So if you look at sort of the traditional approaches to getting more data and more customer insights in a, in a brick and mortar world, there were the things like, you know, the loyalty programs and similar. But as companies are getting smarter about the way that they design and instrument their brick and mortar locations, I think that you're going to start to see more interesting ways of extracting data, like using machine vision to be able to identify common traffic patterns throughout their retail spaces, potentially shifting from the sort of old school loyalty card towards doing more with facial recognition and ad targeting within the retail spaces. I think that being able to do more with buying patterns as far as people who bought this product also bought those, being able to, to take some of those the learnings that we've had from e-commerce retail around how to educate users on new products. And you'll see a lot more of that sort of go live inside of these physical spaces. I also think that you're going to see that that's going to drive towards a simplification, that a lot of these like kind of really large complicated shopping experiences are going to move to more simplified and maybe even brand-focused experiences going forward. Actually, well, that last dynamic, I guess, is one that maybe we can dive a little bit more into, but you talked about a few things here. So we talk about using computer vision to physically instrument a store, and you frame that as if you know we're going to see or these things will sort of begin to happen. 
do you see those as, you know, more into the future than today? In other words, are there areas where sectors of retail, subcomponents of sort of the brick and mortar world, where that kind of in-store optimization is happening? Or is it really kind of aspirational for almost all of those players? I think that there are a few people that are starting to get it right. But I think that they're just really starting to scratch the surface of what's possible with it. Also getting, you know, getting the algorithms implemented and tuned properly to give correct insights is often the the biggest problem with with artificial intelligence. So I know quite a few stores are starting to, or quite a few brands are starting to move towards sort of a, a smart store concept. But I think we're still in really early days. Yeah. So you had mentioned also the personalization side of things. Do you see what has been learned in e-commerce, which is a lot? So e-commerce is definitely one of the spaces that is sort of we could call not stodgy when it comes to AI. Right. At least, at least if right. we freeze time today, do you see kind of the tip of that spear being what makes the initial impact in brick and mortar retail? In other words, do you, do you see the low hanging fruit of what's going to move in the brick and mortar world to be just the stuff that already has traction online, or, or do you see it potentially also being some other things? Yeah, I think that. It'll probably follow a very similar trend to what e-commerce has, which is that that the macro optimizations and the micro optimizations kind of start concurrently, but that the macro optimizations tend to to move to bearing fruit earlier. In that, if you're optimizing for the for the highest average, you'll generally generate more initial value than if you're trying to to optimize for every micro opportunity. So in the case of web experiences, for instance, you know, if you have an overall really bad average performance, personalization is just going to, you know, do more damage than good. And so you sort of have to achieve that that highest average performance and then start to reap the rewards of of the personalized experiences cuz there'll be less noise to, to try to dig through in a much bigger problem space. Yeah, okay, that, that's a really interesting point. So you, just to poke into that, when we talk about sort of fixing sort of your baseline so that you can then layer and integrate personalization on top of it, I'm imagining a listener asking themselves, am I ready? And not necessarily know knowing what to look for to know if we have the fundamentals in place to to take that next personalization step. What do you think those are? You know, what what has to be baseline that's best average? I think you called it for us to be able to even think realistically about leveraging AI. Well, I think that when you look at the way that e-commerce has moved, you know, they'll happen in parallel, right? And the more optimized you get, the general experience. I think the clearer the insights from the personalization and micro-targeting will become. There are a lot of really great best practices for retail, just as as well as online experiences, and very few companies really live them, you know? And so I think that you're going to find when you start to really instrument the stores, similarly to when you really instrument the user experience, that, you know, there's going to be quite a bit of of low-hanging fruit. And it's not like you'll just get to the optimum and and then you start to to personalize i think as you knock down each of these kind of most visible problems it will increase the visibility of the impact of these personalization and sort of micro optimization efforts and and they'll really you know i think you really have to optimize both in parallel 
Yeah, you talked about, and I just want to clarify the point, you talked about optimizing the macro, you know, in addition to the micro, and then you were like, the macro might yield results first or something. How would you kind of explain that? I'm just, again, imagining a listener tuned in who might work at a Target or a Walmart or, or just be interested in being able to see in their head what you're articulating. What do you mean by that? So for instance, if you look at using e-commerce as an example, if you have a checkout process and the checkout process has a lot of distractions a lot of opportunity to navigate away from the checkout process, advertisements or whatnot in line, that's going to cause the users, all the users, not the individuals or you know personalization opportunities to bail on that checkout process, right? The more outs you give them and also the more content you put in the way or the more data you collect, all of that creates a sort of cognitive friction to everyone, not the individual. Yeah. That's where a lot of the really big wins are going to be found initially. But once you get those sorted out, then is when personalization really shines because you'll have a much better baseline of data to be able to identify your detectable effect size and collect enough data to be able to find those personalized opportunities. Without that that sort of clear baseline and the ability to identify the impact, it makes it very hard to do proper personalization. And it's true in the, the store context as well. Yeah, I imagine even more true. Um, do, do you foresee the, just to kind of, we'll move into e-commerce in a second, but do you foresee a lot of these store, like optimizing phys- the physical world is so complicated compared to a homepage that I can programmatically generate on the fly. Um, it's just so much harder to do that with different stores, different lighting, different layouts, whatever. Um, do, do you foresee many years before that becomes the norm, even for a Walmart or a Target, um, in terms of like actually optimizing in-store experience anywhere close to online? Or do you see there might be some real strong runway into the future where w- w- there will be some low-hanging fruit, as you had said? Yeah, I think that industry is already you know making huge strides there. I think you know, even if you look back at sort of traditional grocers and things like that, they've always tried to optimize the layout of their stores. And as you get these larger and larger organizations where they have, you know, tens of thousands of locations, the ability to perform experimentation between the different locations, understanding the local customer base and demographics, seeing things that work in San Francisco likely work in New York, things that work in Phoenix, Arizona, likely work in Austin or or Houston. And so you can start to learn and and sort of segment your stores as you get the stores better instrumented to be able to generate data that AI can, can really act on. Then is when you have the real opportunity to use AI to, A, better identify when you make a change that has a high impact to the average, but also be able to look for personalization opportunities and helping to to lead the consumer through the store to their likely goal that they're trying to achieve, as opposed to just, you know, optimizing the average. Got it. So still being able to tie something to an individual level. Yeah. Yeah. And, And again, tougher, right? Because you can't like, oh, Susan's showing up, time to move the milk you know, over to the right, right hand exactly. side, right? It's like, <laughs> right. we can't And so be, then you have to, you yeah. have to start to lead the user as yeah. opposed, you know, which is, is the same, you know, same concept that you have in e-commerce optimization as well, right? Is you're often not moving everything around. 
you know, you do have the next best offer and recommendations engines, but overall you're, you're trying to help the user find their path through the experience in much a similar way to a brick and mortar experience. Yes. I mean, I guess on that note, maybe we can toggle over to e-commerce. You've done a, a solid job here, sort of nutshelling where you see the brick and mortar world evolving. When you look to e-commerce and you, you ask yourself, all right, what's changing now? We freeze time. We're not talking about what we hope we're going to be able to do tomorrow or next year. We're just freeze time today. Where is AI making its way into e-commerce? Where is it making a difference in, in your mind? I think that AI is, has already been having a huge impact on e-commerce. The amount of data and instrumentation that that is just inherently available in e-commerce experiences just lends itself particularly well, as well as like you say, like, you know, being able to move things around, those levers are in place in an e-commerce experience. So I think that you're seeing a lot of really great movement on this side around personalization, recommendation engines, a lot of the the really great analytics tools that are surfacing new insights through things like, you know, causal inference and being able to process more complicated navigational flows. They're all really, I think, leading the next phase of experiences. And they're they're leading to, you know, in a lot of cases, things we already sort of knew, but often kind of move away from, like the simplicity of the experience, like, you know, how you surface information. So I think that a lot of them are leading back to these sort of age-old user experience patterns, but there are definitely some some new insights. I think, you know, if you go to some of these optimization conferences or you watch some of the videos online, you sort of have this obligatory, you know, put up two experiences. You've got one that's like beautiful and one that's really ugly. And the, 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 the speaker says, which one do you think won, right? But I, in all honesty, right, I don't think that, that an experience has to be ugly to be optimized. I think that, you know, there are fundamental truths about design that are very objective. And then oftentimes, you know, what is beautiful is, is subjective and culturally specific. So I think that AI can really drive that that objective side to design yeah and then you can use you know and then the exceptional user experience designers in this world can do the you know kind of contextual beauty and sort of lead the brand appeal more so interesting okay so what you're saying is instead of um you know beginning with gorgeous template x from really schmancy dancy designer and then we kind of tweak the sidebar with ai we probably would still need a good designer to come up with a great number of different potential baseline website layouts and, and orchestrations. But we sort of figure out which one of those hits, you know, discern from the data which of those is a winner in terms of cart value, in terms of customer lifetime value, in terms of conversion rate, whatever we're looking for. And then we can let the designer sort of work within some bounded box of what we know actually functions, as opposed to kind of beginning with the template of one design opinion we maybe let the data coax out the best baseline design opinion and then kind of, you know, add our bells and whistles from there. Is that kind of where you're leaning? Right. Yeah. I think that that's, that's definitely, you know, a part of it. But also, I think AI gives us the ability to kind of manage many more variables than the sort of traditional design experience. And so what I think AI is really opening up is the ability to, you know, try a lot more ideas. Whereas before, you know, when you think about how hard it is to get certain things implemented and and how much traffic it takes to run tests, et cetera, 
you end up having to come up with, you know, 10 ideas, cull them down to one or two, maybe test the two ideas. And, you know, it's all a very manual kind of human process. Whereas I think as we move into the future of, of user experience online, I think that you're going to see a lot more high throughput ideation processes where you're testing a thousand ideas rather than, you know, two ideas and finding, I think that that's where you'll end up with a lot of the personalization wins is if you can search through thousands of ideas for the highest average. And then once you found the highest average, you still have a, a whole bunch of cool ideas that you can find where the demographics of a specific region interact more positively with one than the other, or where specific demographics as far as gender, age, etc., can benefit from some of these ideas that might not have generated the highest average performance, but are better for an individual or sub-segment of your, of your user base. Got it. Maybe what we could even sort of wrap up on here is where you think this is taking us, because you're, you're articulating a couple of different shifting dynamics and what this will permit us to do. When you think about where I guess we, you know, we'll lump them together in this case. If you want to just focus on one, you can. But where, where you think retail writ large, online, offline, how it's shifting in the next maybe half decade ahead, what's going to be different? What will be the new normals? What's the world we're kind of walking into? How do you think about that? What's in your mind as sort of like the inevitables that this space is molding itself into? I think that if you look at retail on the whole, I think you're you're seeing a lot of sort of simplification and consolidation users are have a lot shorter attention span and so a lot of this the new insights air quote are really moving us towards just implementing something that we sort of already knew which is that you know a simplified user experience where somebody can achieve their goal is the ideal experience and so you know i think that people will deploy a lot of really great ai over the next 10 to 20 years a lot of it will turn out to be you know, <laughs> smoke. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, yeah. Well, but, a lot of it has been smoke already, for sure. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that uh, you're going to start to see some really standout applications of AI that impact users positively. And if it goes well, I think that we'll end up in a place where users have, you know, a simplified ability to to really achieve their goal. Because anything, anything other than that, I think, is ends up being destructive to the experience. Yeah, it's, it's really, I guess it's interesting to me that you say that. I think as a vendor, you sort of have to be a good guy maybe. But, I, you know, if you ask me, I, I think a lot of the, the ball game is it seems to be maybe introducing users to a product that they may or may not have really planned on purchasing, you know, not coercing anybody, right? Not cajoling them mm-hmm. in some way, but, mm-hmm. but sort of like ensuring that maybe they do a couple things in addition to their goal. So fulfilling intent is one thing, but also sort of maximizing how much wallet share do we garner if they're already looking for clothes and they're here, maybe they weren't planning that the goal was not buy socks, but by golly, if we can sell them some of these wool ones, there's a lot of margin there. I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying I could see somebody saying that that bending of kind of initial intent to encompass more of the business's goals is really the trend. But you seem to really be emphasizing kind of the fulfilling of the the user's goals. Is, is there a a dichotomy there. You mentioned kind of a destructiveness. I, I'd love to maybe get your take. Yeah, I think users adapt, right? Customers adapt. And you'll find that that these sort of bias manipulation techniques work for a little while. But in the end, people will adapt and even, you know, not even consciously, but just as they're exposed to it more, 
if you look at at what online advertising was, you know, 10 years ago versus today, users get smarter, users are kind of infinitely adaptable. And I think that you'll you'll always see people who want to get ahead by by cutting corners, but I think on the grand scale, the brands that that will win are the ones that focus on a great customer experience, on helping customers achieve their goals, and on, you know, customer relationships that the customer values instead of feeling like, you know, they got pressed into doing something that they that they they didn't want to do. Definitely, yeah, and I, I again, I, I'm not sure if all like of course I've definitely bought, let's say, many dozen items on Amazon that I did not go in there initially planning to purchase, but it wasn't done in such a way that was so divergent, so weird that I I kind of didn't want to use Amazon again. And I think what you're saying mm-hmm. is if there's tricks and tools to kind of pull a lever and get somebody to throw down money that that really isn't in line with their goals, that's actually losing in the long term. And I'm I'm hoping that you're right. If if uh, helping users really achieve their aims is is where AI is taking us. I think that's actually not that bad of a future retail experience. So Tyler, I know that's all we have for time, but thank you so much for being able to join us here on AI and Industry. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Dan. So that's all for this episode of AI in Industry. If you've really gotten a lot out of this series or you have enjoyed the show writ large, be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does mean the world when people let us know what they like most about the show, and it certainly helps other folks learn about the show when we garner more reviews and comments on iTunes. I don't ask for them nearly enough. Uh, We're always grateful when we get them, and the feedback is always something we take seriously. We love learning what people like the most about the program. So drop us a five-star review on iTunes if you've enjoyed what you're hearing here. And otherwise, I'm going to be catching you next week as we're going to be talking about customizing copy. So can artificial intelligence actually write your email subject lines, write your social media posts for you? The answer is to some degree, yes, and in the future, much more so. That's going to be the focus of next week's episode. So don't miss out. Catch us here next Tuesday on AI and Industry. 